Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Hello online. Good to see you too. <laughs> um, in case you're wondering, it's freezing here in the gym and we are not allowed to use any heaters as from last week anymore in here. So rack up a bit more warmer for the weeks to come. It's going to be good. Summer is coming, people. <laughs> but my feet are cold. Um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Leona. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and it is an immense privilege to bring the word of God today. I take it very seriously and my prayer is that um, you would hear the spirit talk to you, not me, but all him and that everything that's happening today in this room would all be about the Lord. Amen. Amen. We are currently in a sermon series called Prepared for Purpose. We are looking at the books of Samuel and there are two windows mentioned in the book of Samuel. In the first window, there is a woman called Michal and she lets David through the window to escape from Michal's father, Saul, who was about to kill David. And then later on we see in Samuel, 2 Samuel 6, the second window. And there it says, as the ark of the Lord was entering the city of David, Michal, daughter of Saul, watched from a window. And when she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she despised him in her heart. The question is, what happened? What happened between these two windows? What happened in Michal's heart during this time? How did the Lord use the time between these two windows to teach David, to equip him to become the future king of Israel? What happened in those 20 years? We saw in the last weeks how David ran to the prophets and the prince and the priests and how he then gained strength. And today we are talking about 1 Samuel chapter 25. So please open your Bible if you have them. But before I dig a bit deeper right now into the, into the story of today, I think it's very important to give you the context of the story and what we are looking at today. And the context of Today's story is actually mentioned to us in verse 1. It says, Now Samuel died, and all Israel assembled and mourned for him. And they buried him at his home in Ramah. Then David moved down into the desert of Paran. Samuel died. It's only mentioned in one single verse in this book. But man, it was an impact on that nation and on David. And on his life. The prophet who anointed David did never see the fulfillment. He never saw David to actually become king. This news would have hit David so hard. Israel must have grieved Samuel. They were probably reminded how they actually sinned and didn't choose Samuel but wanted a king. Samuel was their spiritual leader. He was the person who prayed for them. Samuel himself said in chapter 12, 23, that as for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. To lose Samuel, the spiritual leader and a person who was so committed to pray for them, is hard. It would be very hard. Samuel knew David, Samuel trusted David, Samuel knew the promises in David, he knew what the Lord said about David and he knew the future. 
and he was holding on to it. And Samuel prayed for David. And what does prayer do? It connects, doesn't it? Personally, I feel very connected with my 93-year-old grandpa, my Opa in Germany. Opa has served the Lord with his whole life. He's been a pastor his whole life. And Opa many, many years ago came to me and said to me, Leona, I promise you that as long as I'm alive, I will pray for you by name daily. And I know my Opa is. And this connects me to Opa. It really does. And on days when I don't feel too well or when I feel like I'm really struggling and there's so much stuff happening and I feel discouraged, I sometimes even look at the time. I remember one moment recently and I looked at the watch and I was like, oh, Opa is getting up in four hours. And he will pray for me by name. You know what an encouragement that is? To know that someone is actually committed to pray for you? It does something, doesn't it? Even though I haven't seen him in years now, but it connects keeps us connected. I imagine David's relationship to Samuel just like that. They probably couldn't see each other often. David was on the run, but they were connected in and through prayer. And right now in a time in Saul was so outrageous, wanted to get David and David had to flee his own country right now in this time and he needed this friend, this support person the most, he was removed. He died. So when David heard that, when David heard this news, it must have shaken him massively. A grieving person can feel in shock. They can sometimes feel guilty even. Anxious, lonely, helpless, and the list goes on. Grief is tough. David's life was shaken by this news. So after Israel buried Samuel, it says that David went into the desert of Paran. It doesn't give us the reason why David is going there. And the commentaries don't say a lot either, but they just believe that he was actually going there to, to grieve his friend. The desert of Paran was the place where most of the walkings from the wilderness, in the, in the wilderness from the nation of Israel took place. It was a very, very tough place. It's also described as a place of gravel. In fact, there is so little rain that falls on this ground that there is not actually any room for the formation of the soil to be found. It's just rock solid hard. It's a tough, tough place to survive. But it was a place far removed from where Saul was. So David went there. David was hungry, thirsty, grieving his friend, probably tired from walking and felt lonely inside. We can often see in the Bible how physical places can actually correlate with the spiritual states of the being. So with David going to the desert of Paran, it gives us, a, it speaks pretty powerfully, it gives us a pretty powerful insight into the spiritual state where David was in. So this is the context we find today's story. David was in the desert of Paran. He and his people knew of herds nearby. They heard of them. They were pretty powerful. They could have probably taken a cow or two, but they didn't. In actual fact, some people believe that David's people built almost like a, a wall of protection around other people's herds. And then the time came when David was hungry. 
and they needed food and the festive season was coming and water. And he knew there was this one man called Nabal who was pretty rich and well off and lived in Carmel, not too far away from where David and his herds were. And so he sent men to Nabal and to ask him for food. And Nabal just laughed at it and was like, who is this David anyway? I don't give you anything. Sent his people back to him. David heard it and what did David do? He got pretty angry and he got his swords ready. And he was about to go and kill Nabal and all his people. Praise God. By the grace of Abigail's heart, the wife of Nabal, she discerned it well. She went to David and she stopped him from retaliating. And ultimately at the end, Abigail became David's wife. What a weird old story. <laughs> but there's so much gold in it. It's so good. So what I decided to do now is to look at the different people in the story and what God taught David in the season through them. But let's start first with David himself. David did culturally actually the appropriate thing. He sent people ahead of time before he actually got there with a message. And he thought that Nabal, who would receive this message, would trust David simply because he never attacked his herds. He thought the trust was established. Nabal was rich and not willing to share. So right now I could have preached on many different topics I was thinking about. I could have preached on how we can we live a good life and how can people still treat us bad. I could preach on trust and disappointment. Or I could preach on creed and how do we manage our belongings. But the part of the story that spoke to me this week was how David handled Nabal's response. And what did David do? He reacted. It says in verse 12, David's men turned around and went back. When they arrived, they reported every word. David said to them, each of you strap on your sword. So they did. And David strapped his on as well. About 400 men went up with David, while 200 stayed with the supplies. David had lost his temper over the careless words of a fool. And in actual fact, this is the meaning of Nabal's name, literally, the fool. David was ready to kill. You and I may not be ready to kill, but how easy is it when someone is actually cheating us and just to judge this person, to talk negatively about this person and to even play revenge? Jesus says in Matthew, and these are the words of Jesus Christ himself, says in Matthew 5, 21 and 22, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. And again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. What a full-on passage. <laughs> I was just reading it again this week. I was like, oh Lord, please help us. <laughs> please help us. You and I, as I said before, may not be willing to kill. And this could easily just have to do with the cultural context we find ourselves in currently. 
But Jesus reminded us that already be angry at a person deserves judgment. David was ready to kill a fool. And Jesus is telling us that already calling someone a fool, we can face judgment. You know how powerful this is? What I would like to ask you now is to just think of a circumstance you recently faced that was just difficult and made you a bit angry. Or where you felt judged wrongly. And I want to talk a moment about how we can respond to the circumstances you are currently in. And just as I talk about it, and I mention some words, just reflect back and see like, wow, where was I actually sitting? How did I go with that? I want to talk about that we can be reactive, like David was, or we can be proactive. So if you are reactive, you survive. But if you are proactive, you thrive. If you are reactive, you're a follower. But if you are proactive, you are a leader. If something is reactive, you feel like it's very urgent. But if you're proactive, you think it's important. When you are reactive, you're traveling without a map. But when you're proactive, you have a clear direction. When you are reactive, you often ask, what's next? And you ask, what if? If you're proactive. You have limited choices, rushed decisions, and you feel overwhelmed when you're reactive. And when you're proactive, you have endless opportunities or possibilities, rapid learning and focused action. It's often about the them when you're reactive, and it's often about us when you're proactive. You're dealing with the past when you're reactive, and you're focused on the future when you're proactive. You do problem solving when you're reactive, but you're raising the bar when you're proactive. And I got a few of them. You got to-do lists when you're reactive. And you got to-don't lists when you're proactive. Reactive is a person that makes their decision based on other people's influences. And proactive is a person that analyzes the situation then identifies and evaluates options and makes a decision. Did you react in your situation? David reacted. He was pretty angry. And as I mentioned before, he was hungry, thirsty, tired, and grieving his friend. How easy is it to react? When I am on the end of the day and I'm tired and I had a really big day and my three beautiful gorgeous children are in the back of the car and all of a sudden a fight is occurring and the noise level is just like up here. Man, it's easy to react. How quick can it be? So easy. I think we are all in this, aren't we? But this is not a character of a king. The character of a king is to be a proactive leader. Someone who thinks clearly under pressure. God is teaching David in this moment to be poised under pressure. To be a proactive one. And how is he doing it? And that's what I love. Time and time again in the Bible we can see this. That God is bringing the change through the least. He's not sending a prophet. He's not sending a priest. But who does he send? Abigail. The wife of the fool. Let's read verse 23. 
When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and bowed down before David with her face to the ground. She fell at his feet and said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my Lord, to that wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool and folly goes with him. She was talking about her husband. It was shaking me this week. And as far as from me, your servant, I did not see the man my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself with your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be, be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servant has brought to my Lord be given to the men that follow you. One person with a cool head can diffuse an extremely dangerous situation. Isn't that amazing? And fortunately for David, Abigail was just like that. She discerned something and she was sensitive about it. And then she actually convinced him and restrained his anger. Abigail was poised under pressure. She was proactive. And David, he actually quickly recognized this. He was right, that she was right, and he praised God for it. It then goes on in verse 36. It says, when Abigail went back to Nabal, her husband, he was in the house holding a banquet like that of a king. He was in high spirits and very drunk. So she told him nothing at all until the daybreak. Then in the morning when Nabal was sober, his wife told him all these things, and his heart failed him, and he became like a stone. About 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. When David heard that Nabal was dead, he said, Praise be to the Lord who has upheld my cause against Nabal for treating me with contempt. He has kept his servant from doing wrong and has brought Nabal's wrongdoing down on his own head. David had to learn once again that it is the Lord who fights for him. Can I just tell you that it's not up to you to fight for your own name? The Lord can close every single door in your life tomorrow. It's not for us to fight for our own name. The Lord will. Can I also ask, is there anything in your life right now where you feel a burden of a certain battle on your shoulders? Are you facing a circumstance which does not look very promising, just like David in the desert without water or food? And what do you do? Do you try to fix these things? Do you try to run ahead? Do you seek the Lord? Do you trust that he sees the big picture? Can you see the big picture? Sometimes maybe yes. Sometimes no. The question for us is, will you react or will you reflect? And back to those two windows from the very beginning. What did God teach David in the time between these two windows? David knew he was going to become king. He knew the calling on his life. He knew it. But before he was going to become king, the Lord had to teach him a lesson. Because if you are in a position of power, you need poise under pressure. And David was going to be in a position of power and he needed poise under pressure. You need to be proactive and not reactive. 
if you are in a position of power. You and my calling may not be to be king or queen in this world. <laughs> but you also have a calling on your life. And Jesus tells us this pretty clearly when he was walking on this earth. Jesus said that our life has the calling to live according to him. And to go and to make disciples of Jerusalem and Judea and the rest of the world. And can I just say that this is the deepest, deepest prayer in my heart right now that we would be a church just like that. That if we go shopping in Littlehampton, Neumann, Barker, wherever you live, that we would have on our heart to make disciples in the name of Jesus. Maybe look around and see the person standing next to us in the supermarket. Maybe have the boldness like Abigail had to actually speak up. Sometimes you may pray quietly for this person. Other times there may be a chance to actually be like, you know what, I just really feel like I need to pray for you. Are you open for it? Ooh, imagine that. But what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus in the world today? What does it look like for us to live here in the Adelaide Hills or down on the flats and actually be bold enough to live for Jesus? You have the calling to be in a close relationship with God, just as David. Your life has a reason and it has a purpose. And you are in a very big learning school too, just like David was back then. The Lord wants to guide you, he wants to teach you, he wants to correct you. And the question is, are you open for it? Are you humble enough to be corrected? So now let's look a bit more closely to Abigail. Abigail was moved by wisdom. She could see things before they happened. Abigail's actual literal name, meaning of the name is beautiful, wise and prophetic. Let's talk culturally right now for a second. Abigail was female. It was so culturally inappropriate for her to approach David. You know what is said that the countries who, who are currently in this world, who are closest to the culture of Jesus' time, where they are? Afghanistan, Turkmenistan, Tajikistan. Culturally speaking, it would be the closest to Jesus' time. It was so inappropriate for Abigail to go and see David. But she did. And she didn't do it for herself. And she didn't, partly probably was part of it, like to also save obviously her family and all these people. But she certainly also did it for David. Why? Because she knew some things about David. She firstly knew that David wasn't a really bad man. He never attacked the herds of them. He was always a bit protective. He never took anything off them. She also heard that this was the guy who had the sling in his hand and who killed this giant. And the text also shows us that she knew that David was running away from Saul. And so she probably knew he was going to be the future king. She knew this. So she went to remind David of his calling, of the calling that he had on his life. And she risked her own life for this. She had no idea what David would do at the end of the day. He could have just killed her. But she went to remind him that he has a calling. What is Abigail teaching David? That she does not act on emotions, but that she acts rationally. So often today, what do we do? We receive an email and someone is offloading to us emotionally, right? 
of hazing something. And we run to our computer and we go, send. Email gone. Can I tell you that it said that if you talk communication, that only 7% of communication is delivered with the content. It's about 55% in communication that is in and through the body language. And 38% is tonal. Can I give you an advice that someone gave me one day? If you receive an emotional email of someone lets something down to you, can you actually sit down and write an email and let all your emotions out? And then delete. And then wait a day. And then write an email again. And you will be surprised, pretty surprised, how different your email will be. The other thing someone said to me is, Leona, if you actually reply on an emotional matter, can you just have an accountability person? And so I have one. Before I send the send button, I would show someone else which I just trust to have a discerning spirit over it and someone who would keep me accountable in my actions. Can you please be wise as Abigail and not react in situations in your life? I just really encourage you to reflect on how you handle other people. When Abigail approached David, the opposition, she was very humble about it. When you see that your partner, your husband or your wife or your friend is about to make a pretty big decisions that would face many, many large consequences, are you humble enough to humble yourself and approach this person about it? Do you need to be an epical to someone else? Or are you just looking away and not actually approaching it? Are we willing to hold one another accountable? I hope so. I really hope so in this church. Life is not necessarily getting easier, is it? Pray for wisdom. Just pray for discernment and pray for self-control. Those are all the gifts that I mentioned, the spiritual gifts in Galatians 5. Pray, pray for them. Ask the Lord to give them to you. So David heard that, that Nabal was dead. And then David sent word, and we now read from verse 39. David sent word to Abigail, asking her to become his wife. His servants went to Carmel, which is the town they lived in, and said to Abigail, David has sent us to you to take you to become my wife, or his wife. She bowed down with her face to the crown and said, I am your servant, and I'm ready to serve you and wash the feet of my Lord's servants. Abigail quickly got on a donkey and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers and became his wife. David had also married Ahonaim of Chesreel, and they both were his wives. But Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Pachiel, son of Laish, who was from Galim. Abigail became David's wife. The Lord provided for her. She just lost her husband in that culture, which was pretty t a pretty tough gig. But her husband was a fool. And now she was going to be the wife of the future king of Israel. What a story for Abigail herself. Crazy, if you think about it. Can I just talk a tiny bit of a moment about if you're a person right now who is actually seeking a relationship. May I just say to you, if you're a woman... To look for a man who listens and responds to wisdom and not just be arrogant about his own opinions. 
And may I just be allowed to say that if you're a man, to look for a wife who is humble and wise and seeking wisdom and acting on it. We can learn so much from the story here. I don't know if you noticed this yet, what I read out before in the last chapter. And Ben, you can come up now. But who was mentioned in the last verse? Michal. It said, but Saul had given his daughter Michal, David's wife, to Pachiel, son of Laish, who was from Galim. It just reminds us that Michal is still part of this whole story, of the story between the two windows. And why was she mentioned here? Why was it so important here? We didn't actually hear from here from the very beginning of the first window. This was it shows us that Saul just gave his daughter to someone else. Mikhail was just moved around from one person to the other, from one man to the other. What would it have felt like in her heart? Why did David not come back and get her? He came back for Jonathan, her brother, but not for her, who was so deeply in love with him. What was with all of this? David, what are you doing? I just imagined her this week the whole time. I was like, man, she must have just been sitting there and just like thinking around and around and around. Was I not worth it enough for me to go with him? Why did David reject me? And right at the end in this whole chapter, this very last verse, it actually, if we look back and reflect back now, we notice that this whole thing here is a story of rejection as well. David was rejected by Nabal. Abigail even rejected in some ways her husband Nabal but spoke up and Michal was rejected by David so in a moment of rejection you can choose what you will do with it and I don't say this easily right now it's pretty hard it's a tough gig to do but you, rejection can either way define you or it can refine you that's what it can do and I don't know about you, but I read many words about a man who was rejected a lot in his life. May I read about our Messiah in Isaiah 53, about Jesus Christ. He was described as, from verse 3, He was Jesus, he was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and he... And we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. You are not alone in your rejection. Jesus was rejected by his very own people. When you face rejection, you can choose bitterness or you can choose blessing, which leads to joy, perseverance, build your character and ultimately gives you hope. I believe Mikal had a choice in this moment in her heart. Mikal could have chosen, and I'm not saying it's easy, but she, could, she had a choice to choose bitterness or blessing. So my question to you right now is, is you may have lost your job. Do you choose bitterness or blessing? Your husband or wife left you. And 
It's not easy. Do you choose bitterness or blessing? You may have just been diagnosed with a really bad illness. Do you choose bitterness or do you choose blessing? My prayer is that the Lord helps all of us to be poised under pressure. To be humble and wise and willing to be corrected. May we all just be proactive and choose blessing over bitterness. Amen. Can I pray for us? Jesus, we just worship you, Lord, that you are the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings, Lord. Jesus, we worship you that you chose the blessing. Jesus, I pray for all of us here right now, Lord, that you help us to be poised under pressure. Jesus, I pray that you help us to be proactive, Lord. I also pray that you give us a humbleness, Lord, to actually be able to approach people in love and in kindness and in wisdom if they need to be corrected. Jesus, I pray that this church will be a church who will always point people to you and who holds each other accountable. Lord, I pray that your spirit would just be poured out on us, Lord. We pray that all the spiritual gifts of Galatians 5, Lord, that they would just really transform our lives. Maybe just shine in this world for you, Christ. Maybe be disciples in this world in your name. Maybe step out, boldness out in, in faith, Lord, proclaiming your name. Jesus, I want to pray for those who are currently facing a difficult circumstance in their life. Lord, give them your wisdom, your discernment, your patience, your peace. Jesus, I pray that you enable them to choose the blessing over the bitterness. Lord, we pray a blessing over this church now in your mighty name, Jesus. Amen. If you are currently going through a difficult time in your life and you would like to receive some prayer, can I just invite you to come up the front? We would love to pray for you. Thank you. You've been listening to a sermon from Hills Baptist Church. To find out more or to hear other great content, find us at hillsbaptist.com or on your podcast app.